So 2,000 years ago, uh, Jesus had this, this concept, this idea, this, this mission from the Father to change the world. And today in our world, when we think about changing the world, uh, oftentimes we're thinking about uh, maybe some politics or, or forcing people or, or laws. And, and if people would just do it the way I think they should do it, then the world would be a better place. That's kind of how we think about changing the world. But Jesus had this concept that a, a people reminded of who they are, radically devoted to love, would be the, the ones who would change the world for, for good, for, for God's mission, that God's kingdom would come through people like us, ordinary people who were committed to one another and committed to the, the love of Jesus in radical, practical ways in this world. And, and it was the launch, it was the beginning of this thing that we now call the church. It wasn't called that in, in that day, but, but it's now this concept of the church. And if you ever want to read about the church, the beginnings of the church, the early days of the church, go to Acts, the book of Acts. If you go to the middle of the Bible and then keep going to your right, uh, Luke uh, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, actually writes Acts as well. And he, he writes Acts to remind us of this beautiful story that God is writing in the world, that he can change the world through people. And, and here's the deal. One of the reasons I love the two songs that we just sang is because part of it has to do with just identity issues that we all face. Did you know that? We all face identity issues. We all want to discover who we are and be reminded of who we are. And that's part of why Jesus came is to remind us that we're sons and daughters of God. And he came so that we could be set right with our Father in heaven. And it's this beautiful story of what happens when people are radically devoted to that picture and that mission. And so today, you know, if you miss the rest, if, if you just take hold of those songs that we just sang, that you are a son, you are a daughter of God, that your identity is not found in like what you achieve and what you possess and what you have and who people think you are, like you are who God says you are. And that's his son and his daughter. And that's, that's good news, isn't it? Come on, that's good news, right? Like you can smile because it's good news. Like you're a son and daughter of God and uh, we can smile in church because we have a God who loves us and he's not standing at a distance with his arms crossed, just shaking his head at us. He loves us so much more than we could ever imagine. So we're talking about this idea, this concept of what it means to change the world, to be a people devoted to that kind of a world. And, and the first week we, we simply... We, we talked about the concept of opening the doors of the kingdom. Like that's what Jesus did. He came to remind the Jews that, that God's love was for all people. And if you go back in the story, the, 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 the history, God called the Israelites and he said, I'm going to bless you and you are in turn to bless the world. Like I want to bless the world through you. And so it's not all about you. I want to use you. You're, you're an instrument. You're a vessel. You're a people who are to turn outward to the world at large and bring God's blessing to them. And, and there was some struggle with that. And so then Jesus comes to remind us of our identity and, and, and to call us to open the doors to the kingdom. But, but many of the religious people of his day shut the door to the kingdom. There's this passage of scripture where Jesus kind of rails on the Pharisees, the religious people, and he says, you, you are hypocrites. You shut the door to the kingdom. 
Like you, you close the door in people's faces, faces and, and you don't even go in yourselves. It's like this huge indictment. And so one of the ways we change the world is we remind people that God's love is for everyone, everywhere, at all times. God's love is not reserved for the people who show up. Like God's love is open and wide, so much bigger than we could ever imagine. And so we're called to open those doors wide. We're called to, in our, in our world, in your world and in my world, wherever we spend our time, at your job, at your office, Mountainside Fitness, imagine that. You could open the doors to the kingdom at Mountainside. I mean, in your school, in your neighborhood with the people who live next door to you when you get home and you close your garage because you don't want to talk to anyone or deal with anyone or see anyone and you just want to go in and watch that show because that show, oh, God says, no, open the door. Like open your garage door, walk across the street and remind them through the way you interact with them. I mean, don't go crazy and just say, God loves you. Like, like, through the way that you interact and you bring a baked pie to them, a hot apple pie, like remind them of God's love. Let them see God's love through the way that you treat them. Open the doors to the kingdom wide. And then last week we got into this concept and, and we say it this way, that, that circles are better than rows. So it, like circles, getting in a small circle like sitting across the table from someone that you can get to know and they can get to know you, they can hold you accountable, commitment has to, has, has to be lifted up, that this is one of the ways that the world has changed because in these kind of relationships, God changes me. And when God changes me, I can't help but live differently in the world and it changes everything when God begins to change us. Now listen, this is not a popular thing, but it's the truth. Like God will use, those of you who are married, your spouse in your spiritual development more than he'll use anyone else. When you sit across the table from one another and you open yourselves up completely, God will use your spouse. Now, that's not an encouragement to go home and tell your spouse what's wrong with them. That's not how God uses you. In fact, that closes the door to, to, to the conversation. But rather, when you get to know each other and when you submit to one another out of love, God begins to get into our lives and shape us and change us. Have you ever had your spouse come to you and sit down and say, hey, I just need to, you know, one of the ways that you talk to people every now and then, uh, it makes them feel this way. And I don't think you intend it, but it's just, it, that's, that's how it's taken. Now, I'm not speaking out of experience. I mean, just, uh, <laughs> I've heard this happens every now and then. And, and when we're open and not defensive, then God begins to shape us and change us. And the same thing happens in small groups when we become uh, known and when we know each other and when we get into God's word and allow it to begin to change us. So circles are, are better than rows. And we said this last week, I need a people, you need a people. And it's why we're kind of launching groups at this time of the year because it's one of those times we come together and we're, we want to get back into a routine and a rhythm. So get a people. We want you to get a people. We want to help you with that. Now today I'm going to make you a little uncomfortable. You ready for that? You good? I'm going to press on some places. If you're new today, uh, it's going to be awesome. But you might walk out of here thinking, I, that's why I don't go to church. And so uh, I'm just going to get in some business a little bit here. And here's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about uh, some of the differences and some of the ways we consume and contribute. So uh, consumption and contribution. I want to talk about that. And I want you to open your minds broad and not think of one subject. We're going to talk about a few different subjects, but I want to talk about this 
uh, this, this tendency that we as humans have to, to, to shift into consumption mode and, and never get back to this concept that we are contributing something as well. Does that make sense? Now, here, here's where this, like, we come face to face with it. Um, if, if you want to see this in real life, have children. Like, children, when they are born, babies, um, when they are born, all they do is consume your time, your emotions, your money. Like, they consume your food. Like, they consume, consume. And the only thing they contribute is found in a diaper, and, and that nobody wants. But, but have a baby in this idea of consumption. You'll know what I mean. It, like, it causes you to realize just what selfishness does. Like, selfishness is, is all about consumption. And as parents, we, we often say this, right? As parents, we want our kids to grow up and not just consume, but we want them to do what? Contribute to the world. We want them to contribute something good to the world. Well, I hope as parents we, we, we do that, that we, as our kids, you know, grow up. And parents of young kids, just to warn you, they consume more and more as they get older. I have three, uh, two te- teenagers and one who's getting there, and they eat a lot of food. Consumption is at a high rate in our house. Can I get an amen from others out there? Yes, they eat a lot. And what's ha- what happens as they get older, they want more money too, don't they? And some of you are shaking your heads like, just wait, Matt, you're still young. Uh, they keep coming back again and again. It's like I'm a bank open for business. But they consume, consume, and, and at some point you're like, no, no, you have to contribute to this as well. Like you have to contribute something to our family. Um, Joe Webb, our, our, our music pastor, uh, we were talking one time about family dynamics and, and kind of what happens in the house. And uh, he was talking about one of the, the challenges uh, of parenting. And he was talking, and I loved this. He said, that one, one time he sat down with one of his sons and he said, if you're not going to contribute to what we do as a family, then you're not going to consume what we create as a family. And I thought, that's beautiful. Like, somebody should write that down. That is awesome. And I went home and told my kids. I said, <laughs> Joe said this to his kids, and this is now rule in our house. It's, it's brilliant. If, if you're not going to contribute at some point, then you can't consume what we do as a family. Um, some of you are like, ooh, that's kind of harsh. But it's good. Because at some point, the kids, as they get old, they have to contribute back into life. And listen, the tendency in life and the way we're set up as adults is to be consumers primarily. And our contributions are thought of as secondary. Um, I want to talk for a second just about Carl Jung. Uh, Some of you will know him. Uh, He's a psychologist uh, who uh, contributed a lot to the field of psychiatry and um, Carl Jung talked, he's probably the one who, who really uh, popularized the concept of the two halves of life. Have you ever heard that, that phrase, um, two halves of life? So you have the first half and the second half of life. And what he talked about was in the first half of life, uh, we, we primarily spend our time and energy building our egos uh, and our false selves, so, so constructing what he would call our false selves, so not the reality of who we are, but creating something externally that other people see and, and trying to create some sort of success or measure of success in our life. Does that, does that make sense? That in, in the first half of our life, we just spend a lot of time and energy on that. But then at some point in life, hopefully, um, this, something shifts in our mind 
and we begin to see that there must be something bigger. Like there's got to be a purpose to life. There, there, need, there, there has to be some sort of meaning in life beyond this false self that I've created because there's not enough here. As successful as we may be, there's just not enough in that to, to be okay, to be enough. And so he, he, he had this concept, this idea that as we begin to move into the second half of our life, our, our, our worldview changes and our view of ourselves changes, that we search for purpose and meaning and rather than the concept of trying to build successful lives, we try to begin to build legacies that will outlive us. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Yeah. And some of you, can you look back over your lives and see this kind of uh, maybe a play out in your life if you looked at your, your lifeline? Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you look on the front side of this, a lot of this has to do with consumption, doesn't it? Like that, that I am going to build something for, for me, that I'm going to gather and collect, and I'm going to build myself up. And at some point, we realize that is not enough. Like there is something still missing as we do this. And so then we, we move into this place of wanting to find meaning for what we do. An example of this, and I've followed uh, Scott Harrison's career for, for a while. Um, Scott Harrison was a, um, he was a, he was somebody who in, in New York would go to clubs and uh, promote different things in clubs. And he went through this radical shift in his life. This is kind of a, a description that they have on their website. Listen to this. After a boozy decade of nightclub promoting. I, I mean, that's the best intro, right? After a boozy decade of nightclub promoting, Scott Harrison declared spiritual, moral, and emotional bankruptcy, and he started over. Like this is that concept of when he hit that point in his life where it wasn't enough. He was super successful, had all kinds of money. He had influence in the nightclub scene in New York, but he hit this moment where he said, this isn't enough, and so he declared bankruptcy on himself. He said, no more. He spent two years, he, he literally left everything and spent two years in Africa and saw firsthand the effects of dirty water and he came back to New York City on a mission. This happened around 2004, 5, 6, somewhere right in there. Now, I want you to see what happens when somebody begins to wake up to the reality that consumption isn't enough. Since that time, 2006, this is what Scott Harrison has been able to create with the movement of his life. Look at this. 28,000 water projects his organization has now funded. In 26 countries around the world, over 8 million people who did not have access to clean drinking water in 2005 now have clean drinking water because of his movement and his mission, the purpose that he's found in his life. Now, is that unbelievable? Yeah, it's this, it's this, yeah, it's this shift. It's this, it's this wake up that, that I can't just consume. Like it's a dead end street. That at some point God has gifted me and challenged me and filled me with something that I must use for some greater good. Now, some people never hit that moment in their life. And we could probably name a few of them who are well known. We would say they probably never hit that moment in their life and they died still trying to build this wealth, and then what? Like, where did it go from there? Scott's just a, an example. This charity water is just this example of 
that change, that move into contributing out of what God has entrusted to each one of us. Listen, now, don't miss this. God has entrusted things to you and to me, certain things. Like he's entrusted these things to us. And we oftentimes flow into the mentality, this consumption mentality. It's easy for us to get caught up in these consumer mentalities, building and consuming all that we can. And here's what we think. We think that this is where value, worth, and identity are found. Like we, 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 we roll with this consumption and we're thinking along the way that if we build enough, if we gather enough, if we get enough successes, that now we are somebody. Like that's where our identity gets lost. And it's never enough. And hopefully at some point we wake up to that, that God's spirit awakens life within us so that we refocus what we do. Now, I already told you if you miss everything else, don't miss this, but here's something else. Don't miss this. Uh, throughout the Bible, there's this concept, and here, here's the concept, is that, um, that we are managers. You're a manager of your time, your talents, and your money. We think we're the owners of those things. But I want you to think on the grand scale of things, when you die, when you're no longer, what control will you have over the money that's in your bank account today? How much control will you have over that? That's not a trick question. How much will you have? Right. And what will you be able to do with the time that you have left when you're dead? What will you be able to do with that time? It's zero. You, you have no time, right? And the talents that God gave you, the things that you're good at, whatever that is in your life, the talents that you have, in, you, you have in your possession today, what will you be able to do with those talents when you're no longer breathing? What can you do? Nothing. Which means that all three of those things, you are a manager for a given amount of time for what God has entrusted to you. You're a manager of those resources we think we're owners, but the truth is we're just managers because it all passes away and there's nothing left when we're done. We may pass it to our family, but we have no more control over that. It's gone on to the next one. We're managers. We're not owners. Now, this is one of the reasons we do in, in our church and why we think missions is so very important because it, it changes our mentality. We begin to see something from a different perspective. And I want to give you a quick glimpse of a, the, the Dominican Republic trip from this, this last year, uh, this summer, because those who engaged in that activity began to see this concept, this change. I'm not a consumer. I'm rather a contributor. I am not going to consume a vacation that I could spend $1,600 a person on, but rather I'm going to invest $1,600 of my own money to go to a place where there is no running water and sketchy electricity to spend a week. Now, how crazy and ridiculous does that sound? We have crazy and ridiculous people in our church who do that. They say, I'm going to invest my money, my time, and my talents, what God has given me the ability to do in someone else in another part of the world. And here's what happens when that takes place. We are dead to rights, born and raised. We are thick and thin till our last days. 
a contributor, you begin to see joy in a new way. Like joy isn't measured by what you like consume. It's not what you hold. It's not what you achieve. It's rather like given away to other people. And, and it's just a picture of what happens when you, when you give something away. We have some mission trips scheduled coming up, and I would challenge you to think about investing your time. Be crazy ridiculous with us. Like take your time and your money and invest in something. I have never ever sat across the table from someone sharing their experience of a mission trip who said, oh, I wish I could have that back. Never. I've never talked to anyone who regretted giving their money and their time to serve other people because they experience such joy in those moments. And they realize that life is not found in what they consume, but rather in what they give. Now, some of you are sitting here thinking, Matt, I thought you told me you were going to make me really uncomfortable today. Okay, here it is. The way that Jesus often wakes us up to this is found in his conversation and his teachings about money. Because money reveals something much deeper within us, uh, much deeper than anywhere else that we can find in our lives. And there's this, this conversation that Jesus has where he has these two brothers come up to him to him, and they're, they're kind of arguing about how much they should get from their father's estate. These brothers who are saying, hey, will you, Jesus, will you, because you're a rabbi, you're smart, you're a, uh, you're a great teacher, you're from God, will you help divide this up for each one of us? And Jesus is like, what, what role do I have in that? Like, who made me the judge of that? I mean, you guys should be able to figure that out. And then he says this, in Luke chapter 12, you can go, go read this episode, this story, this picture of Jesus later, but he says, beware and guard against every kind of greed. This conversation about these brothers who are just wanting fairness, the brothers just want fairness. Can you make it fair for us? Have you ever thought to yourself, based on the money that you have or the money that you saw someone else had, have you ever thought to yourself, life just isn't fair if only I had What's the fill in the, if only I had more. See, you guys know what I'm talking about. If only I had more. Have you ever been somewhere and you, have you ever said to yourself, life just isn't fair if only I had less and they have more? None of us say that, right? Not one of us have ever said, life isn't fair. I have more than I deserve. I wish some would be taken from me. Jesus, will you take some from me? Anyone? Okay. So he says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you have. So Jesus is saying, 
the tendency of humans, all of us, across the ages. I mean, this was in the first century, and think about how relevant this is to today. The tendency for us is to measure our life by how much we have. I mean, this was 2,000 years ago. I mean, we should read the Bible. It's so practical and relevant to our lives today because we still do the same thing. We measure our lives by how much we have. And so he kind of goes into this story and he tells this story. It's a parable. He tells a story of about a man who has more than he needs and he has this barn and he has so much that his barn is full of everything that he needs. But there's more coming in. Like he keeps, like there's more. And so he's like, I know what I'll do. I will tear down my barn and I'll build a bigger barn. And then I'll have more than I could ever use. And then I can just sit back and eat, drink, and be merry. I'll never have to do anything ever again. I mean, it's a parable. It's a story that Jesus is making up to reveal something deeper. And, and, and as it goes, God says, well, this very night your life will be demanded. And now what of your much? Like what's going to happen now of everything? Like who's going to take it now? Because you no longer have control of it. You're just a manager. So Jesus says this, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. Now, I want you to stay with me here just for a second because this is where most people tune out and they're like, here we go. Matt's going to ask us for more money and he's going to ask for my my wallet and my checkbook. He's going to ask for something. I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm not. Next week, come back. and No, I'm just kidding. Um, But this is where a lot of people kind of tune out and they're like, here it is. Like, it's this, this concept that a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, so give my money to the church and everything will be okay. I get it, Matt. I've heard it, whatever. But, but what I want you to see is that's not what Jesus said. Jesus did not say a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, period. He didn't say that. It is not wrong to make all the money that you can make. Let me say that again. It is not wrong to store up what God has given you. What Jesus is speaking against is to store up earthly wealth, but not, there's that but that comes in there. It's one of the big buts of the Bible. (laughs) I'll do a series one of these days called that. (laughs) Just had to wake you up. Okay. A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, to create this big lump sum or whatever it is that you're storing up, but not have a rich relationship toward God. And here's why Jesus says that. Because a relationship with God always, a rich relationship, an intimate relationship with God always changes the way we view our money. It always changes the way we view our finances. It, It messes with us. And so, like, I'm not preaching this, this concept that you are a fool if you just keep storing up and you never give away. No, no, I'm saying you're a fool. And those of you who aren't believers, like, I didn't say it. Jesus said it 2,000 years ago, so get mad at him. Don't email me. Like, Jesus said you're a fool if you store it up, but you don't have a rich relationship with God because your rich relationship with God is what transforms you from a consumer to a contributor, and it will change the way you spend your money. It just changes it. 
It changes your outlook. It changes your worldview. It changes your perspective because you begin to realize that we're simply managers and stewards of what God has entrusted to us. And for some, he's entrusted more. And you know what that means? If he's entrusted more to you, you have more responsibility in his kingdom. God believes in you. Those of you who have more than me, it's because God believes you can do something with it better than I could do with it. He's entrusted it to you. He believes you're a better manager than me. I mean, he, he has this view, this picture that, that you can take what he's given you. And with the gifts he's given you, if you have this rich relationship, he can use it for good in the kingdom. And then later in this, and this is a little difficult, another sta- statement from Jesus. And he says this, for wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be as well. Wherever your treasure is. He says that your, 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 your heart will, will flow to where your money is, where your treasure is in this world. Wherever that is, your heart will flow there. And so my, kind of to wrap this up and, and to be done with it, my, my challenge to us is, are, are we simply consumers who are using and storing up all of this without being rich toward God? Are we... Are we people who will invest in the kingdom work? Now, there's so many different great places you can do that. I believe you should start here in the church. I really do. And I'm not asking you for money right now. I'm just saying that, that if God has blessed you, like part of what he calls you to do is to invest it back into the church, his kingdom, which is changing the world. But there's so many great places. Charity water is a great movement to bring clean drinking water to millions of people. It's awesome. Uh, Salvation Army, I believe in their, I mean, I can mention a, a hundred or a thousand different nonprofits. Uh, Teach One to Lead One, who we partner with, they are in local schools in ways that we as a church cannot get into local schools. So we invest and we partner with them financially to further the kingdom of God in those places. There's so many places that you could invest. My challenge to you this week is to wrestle with this difficult truth Am I a manager of what God's given me? Or, or have I viewed my life as ownership, trying to build wealth? And see where God takes you with that. Can you do that? Will you do that this week? Will you wrestle with that, that, that concept of contribution and consumption? Will you, will you wrestle with that honestly this week and just see where God takes you? I hope so. Uh, I, I think it'll be a, a step towards spiritual growth. Uh, would you stand with me? And I'm going to say a prayer of blessing over you. And trust that God's spirit will work in you. So now, may you realize that God has blessed you beyond measure. He's given you the time that he's given you. And none of us know how much time we have. He's given you talents. He's given you you passions and abilities. And no one else is like you. You are unique. And he's given you some money. He's given you the ability to make money. And he's trusting you as a manager. So may you take that responsibility. May you take it and may you invest it in the things that matter most in this world. And because of that, may you experience joy and peace like you've never experienced in your past. Go go in his grace and his love. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.